The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narcanon Suncoast. Hello, Jason. Hello, Joni. Here we are again. This is episode 52. That means we are one year doing the podcast. Yay! We're actually a year and a week because we skipped a week. Yeah, but that's amazing. I know. It's been a year, officially. I know. Exactly. Well, happy podiversary. I know. I was supposed to to bring cupcakes, but I I forgot. I mean, it is a serious subject matter with serious subject matter. We have to be very serious. Very serious. Although, you know... It, it is a serious subject matter, and there's nothing to be made light about the drug epidemic in general. Right. It's just that, you know, so at, point, at points in time when we've been talking, we've laughed about something in the podcast. It's because of, like, the sheer idiocracy of the whole thing. Because when it comes down to it, and you look at it from an objective viewpoint, the drug epidemic is completely ridiculous. If you look at where we've, you know, come to over the last 20 or 25 years, what started off as a small little problem is snowballed right. into this major, 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 major crisis to the point where it's not even just the pills and the opioids anymore. It's the benzos. It's the it's the legalizing uh, marijuana. It's the methamphetamine epidemic. It's the um, the cocaine laced fentanyl. It's the fentanyl problem. It's the it's the synthetics problem. Like we have this just this massive drug problem that unfortunately is just getting worse not getting better but where you and i come into this is that we just need to arm people with information so that they can make the best choice possible when they're confronted with something that's exactly right they're confronted with a choice to take a left turn or take a right turn at least they'll have some information to think with i know that i had no information to think with when i started using drugs the closest piece of reality i had to drug use was that my mom's stepbrother who i barely knew was a drug addict Uh, but it wasn't you weren't like him and you weren't going to be like him. no i mean i was just i was just gonna like Go party. I was going to... But the thing was, I knew he was a crack addict. Uh, I knew he was a crack addict, but I didn't... There was He wasn't really real to me. Like, I, I didn't really... It was never in my face or it was never... He never sat me down and was like, hey, my life's a mess. You really should be careful. Right. It wasn't anything like that. It was literally like, oh, this kind of like distant relative to a point is a crack addict. But that didn't go through my head when confronted with the choice of, would you like a line of cocaine? Right. Um, it, it didn't go through my head. Right. It was just like a, eh, okay, but that, eh, okay, split decision changed my entire life. Exactly. And changed my entire life. So that being said, it's not a light subject. I mean. Well, it's not a light subject, but the other thing I was going to add in is that we have interviewed several graduates from the Narconon program. Right. And they're doing really well. So there's, there's the good side of this, you know. <laughs> the unbelievable, what I wish that I could do is have those graduates go to every high school mm-hmm. locally around here and say, Hey, I was just like you. I was a X, Y, and Z kid from a, this type of family. And went to, I lived in this kind of neighborhood and went to this type of school and I became a heroin addict. Mm-hmm. Kids think they're invincible. That's right. In my thirties, I, li- I realized I'm not invincible. <laughs> I, in my thirties, I've realized I am not actually as invincible as I once thought. Like, you know, when I get up out of bed and everything snaps, cracks, and pops, all of a sudden it's just yeah. like I think we're wearing out a little bit. Yeah. But when you're uh, when you're an addict, you think I'm never going to be addicted. Right. I'm never going to shoot up. Right. I'm never going to steal from my family. But those aren't nevers. Those are yet. Right. And, and what it ultimately becomes. And so I think you're really, I think if I could take these graduates on like on a, like, a, like a road trip around the country, going to high school to high school to high school to high school, talking to these kids, that's the best type of reality they could get on the subject. Yep. If you talk to a recovered person who's gone through addiction, come out the other side, seen, you know, a life sober and a life on drugs and can actually kind of level with you. Yep. 
it's, it's, not, the, it's not the D.A.R.E. program, I'll give you that. No, exactly. Well, you should check out the Great American Teach-In because that happens in November and that's the day when you could do something like that at pretty much any school that, you know, would have you come. But we digress a bit. Sorry, we went this off is, topic. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm actually really happy that we have our guest today because this is our year our year anniversary for yeah, doing the podcast. Special. And yeah, and so I, we knew it had to be really, really special. And so we have with us today, we have Amy Ronshausen. And Amy is the Deputy Director of Drug-Free America and Save Our Society from Drugs or just Save yeah. Our Society? Save Our Society from Drugs. Save Our Society from Drugs. And she is really one of the foremost experts on marijuana and legalizing marijuana. I had the extreme joy, even though it's not necessarily a very pleasant subject to talk about all the time, but I went and listened to Amy a couple weeks ago, and I was amazed, first of all, by everything that you know. And, you know, it, it, I came away much more knowledgeable in the area. Great. And thank you so much for coming back on the podcast today. Well, thanks for having me, especially on the anniversary. And you were talking about how things change over the years. I bet that you would notice if you look at your first podcast to now, how much things have just changed over this 12-month period when it comes to the drugs that are out there on the street and the availability and the, the use rates. I mean, it really is amazing how things have progressed. It's true. It's definitely true. And I, I think you have some changes that you can talk to us about in terms of of the whole legalization of marijuana. I, I'm going to bring one thing up really quickly because I decided, oh, I'll be good and I'll go online and I'll just kind of research, you know, just to like see what's in the news. And now maybe this is not too bad and you're, I'm going to ask you to weigh on this, but I saw that breweries, breweries in Southern Florida are using terpenes from the marijuana plant in some of their craft beers. And they're saying that they're not doing it to create, you know, the the high. They're doing it because it adds some level of flavor to the craft beers. Have you heard that, Amy? <laughs> I have not. I mean, I, I've heard um, like in California where they, they are actually adding the marijuana itself to some of the wines and some of the beers there. Um, I but it's legal in California to do that, right? Yeah. I would, I, you know, this is just another play to normalize something that's harmful for our health and for our public safety. Um, so it's just another thing that if they're advertising that, you're going to hear that whether you're a kid or an adult. And if it's something that is more available and that they're marketing and you're hearing more about it, the more you hear about it, the more, oh, not really a big deal anymore. And so then the next time when somebody says, hey, we're voting to do this and allow marijuana to be more available on the streets or this, you're going to be like, oh, not so bad. It's already in our beer. It's already here, you know, so right. it's just another step toward normalization. You know, it is actually because, of course, what the media is going to say is, oh, there's pot in the beer, which is not exactly true, but that's how it'll be promoted. Absolutely. And people think, oh, well, think put, put pot in the beer and that wasn't so bad and I didn't get extra high and, you know, it seemed fine with me, then it must be okay. You're right. It's, it's really trying to normalize it and make it just okay to do and okay for people to do yeah, yeah and you eventually you'll have yeah you'll have uh marijuana leaf salads yeah yeah like yeah <laughs> but that's, no, but but that's, you're not, but that's, I don't yeah. that's where that's going exactly you'll have you know it'll be the next arugula heart heart of hemp yeah. in my salad <laughs> 
but that but when it comes to normalization that's what they want that's right. what they want they want to right. integrate marijuana into our society is a very normal thing like alcohol or cigarettes or vaping or whatever they right. want to introduce that just as a normal thing where you don't really have any kind of criminality associated with it right amy marijuana is more addictive than alcohol would you say um i'm not sure question? about that yeah that's a tough one sorry um i know that you know when i first started in the drug field uh almost 20 years ago um i worked at a treatment center and we we looked at you know, if people called in, these were certain things that we would say. And I remember when I first started, there was a thing on the wall and it said, you know, these are the drugs that are addictive physically and mentally. And then these are the drugs that are just addictive mentally. And marijuana was over there on that side. Okay. And then, you know, years later, we learned new things through science and research. And now we know that that's not true, that marijuana actually is physically addictive as well. And that um, one in nine I think it's one in nine people that use it become addicted if they use it daily. And that's that doesn't seem like that's a whole lot. Um, but think about addiction. Is that something we would wish on anybody? And do you want to be or do you want your kid to be one the one in nine? Right. And the younger you start using, that rate goes lower. So, it, you know, if you start using before your brain is fully developed, you're more likely to become addicted. Or if you're a daily user, if you're using, you know, every day, you're 20 to 50% more likely to become addicted to it. Um, so as we learn new things and as research, it, you know, comes comes out, we, we learn all this new stuff about it and now we know that it is addictive. Now, compared to other drugs, I'm sure there are some things that are more addictive. There might be some things that are less addictive, but all in all, does it matter? I mean, do you want to have somebody addicted to anything? Do you want point. to start down that path? Yeah, it's a very you good know? point. It's kind of, it's almost a stupid question. Sorry, I no, asked it, that question. It's but not, but that's that's what people, I think you hear that a lot. And um, something I used to hear from parents all the time was, well, I'm glad that it's just marijuana. And I'm like, well, it was just marijuana. And now you're just here in the treatment center. And now your kid is just involved in the legal system. And, now, you know, so why do you, why, why can't we have a zero tolerance? Exactly. You know, why can't as a parent or as a caregiver, you set that, you know, if, you know, if it's going to happen, I'm still going to love you and I'll come pick you up and we'll do that. But my stance is it's not acceptable. Right. You know, I'm not going to tolerate anything, right. you know, n not using while I'm in the house because you might use somewhere else or it's okay if you try it because everybody does it once. The reality is, is not everybody does it once. That's right. So we should set that higher standard for our youth. I agree. And you can speak to the just marijuana. I can speak to the... Well, I can speak to the opposite of what Amy just said about how some parents are like, yeah, just not, not in my house, not under my roof. My parents were the opposite. We'd rather you did it here instead of drove around. We'd, we'd rather your friends drank and smoked pot here, um, thinking that that was some sort of like harm reduction mentality behind it. But it was really not a good thing to do. Yeah. Um, but that's that was what it was in the you know the mid-90s. That's That was the thought process is just like as long as we can control them not driving, not doing this, not doing that. They weren't thinking about, well, what this progresses right. into something else. What exactly. if they actually yeah. get addicted to what they're doing? The 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 attention was just on, don't get them behind the wheel of a car. Don't drive. Don't, don't right. kill yourself. Don't kill somebody. Because addiction wasn't as prevalent mm -hmm. then as it is now. I mean, right. the rates of addiction are, are sky high compared to 20, 30, 40 years ago, we didn't have the rates of addiction that we have now. Right. But you've also had people come to the center and call who just are marijuana. addicted to just marijuana. But they, but they are addicted to just marijuana. Exactly. I was just talking to somebody yesterday that was like, I was like, what's your drug of choice? He said, marijuana. 
I said, is that all you use? He's like, that's all I use. I said, how much do you smoke a day? He said, I smoke about a quarter ounce of it a day. That's a, that's a lot. That's a lot. That's yeah. a lot of weed. Yeah. A quarter ounce of, for one person in a single day, every day is a lot of weed. It's a lot of smoking. It's a lot of smoking. Yeah. And uh, he was like, it's ruining my relationship with my wife. It's ruining my, you know, my performance on the job at work. It's ruining everything. It's ruining everything in his life as any other drug would that people think are like, quote unquote, more addictive, like heroin or coke or meth or something. Right. Marijuana is affecting this guy the exact same way. It doesn't matter what the substance is. We need to take, I had to take out that just marijuana from my vocabulary when talking right. to people it, it's because hard, yeah. working in rehab, it's almost like back in the day, you kind of like giggle under your breath when someone's like, I'm addicted to weed. But now that THC is available in such high concentrations, people are absolutely getting addicted to it. And, right. and you're exactly right. And maybe there, maybe that's the correlation. We, we see higher rates of addiction now, but we also see skyrocketing rates of THC potency in the plant. You know, so technically, and I think we've talked about this before, should it even still be called marijuana? Because it's such a more potent drug than it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And then even worse, today, we're finding marijuana that's laced with fentanyl, you know, cocaine that's laced with fentanyl. You know, we have all these additives to these drugs. So it is very rare that somebody is just a a single drug user. You have all these poly drug users out there. Right. So people who think that they're smoking just marijuana might not be ingesting just marijuana. So something, something to check on. And there was the fellow at your, um, your symposium, Tom Brown, who was talking about all of the other, you know, drugs that can be in the different cocktails. And so now it's happening with marijuana now, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they've seen some cases. And it's, you know, you think about it, and you're like, why would a a dealer or why would the cartels want to put in something that's so powerful that it's killing so many people? Because it because they can make more money. Yeah, because they need to use smaller amounts. And for the people that it's not killing, they're it's a it's a better high. Mm. They're experiencing such a different high that's so much more addictive and so much more powerful that they're, you know, amping up that clientele. And usually you're not having a naive user going out to buy heroin for the first time. That's not what's happening. Right. You know, so they've they've already built up this tolerance to their their system and then you're adding this new little kick to it and they they notice that. Yep. And so they're going to go seek out that person and find out that product again and and now you see the cycle. So it's all these new things that are in there that we weren't seeing five years ago, 10 years ago. And that's what's scary. And that's kind of what, when you said about making that informed choice, you know, if, if you knew what was in these products, would you still want to use them? Right. Um, you know, so finding all that out and, and doing the research and seeing what's out there online and seeing what's in the media and what's in the news, um, it is very important. Yep. I think it's a I terrifying agree. time to use drugs. Yeah, because absolutely. back when I back when I was doing cocaine, I didn't have to worry about people mixing fentanyl in it. Right, and like you brought up with the, with the uh, cocaine uh, that's been laced with fentanyl, you have all these cocaine addicts dying of fentanyl overdoses, and it's confusing medical examiners. Like this guy has cocaine in his system, but he also has died of an opiate overdose, and so they have to look for fentanyl, and you see that happening. But now it's like. Me being like, I feel like I'm a reporter to some degree <laughs> because I go out and I do some research and I write these blogs and report to like the broad public what's happening. And it's a, it's like incredibly scary time to use drugs, especially with all that's happening in uh, Illinois with the spice that's making people's eyes bleed. Yep. Yeah, I saw that in the news. It's yeah, very, yeah it's you very scary. Talk, we talked about that. Exactly. And then the fake pills. So you think that you're buying an Oxycontin, but really somebody just bought a pill press online and they're putting whatever they want in there. And sometimes that's the fentanyl. So, you know, you went on the street to buy this 
uh, Oxycontin and lo and behold, your drug dealer isn't being quite honest with you and you're buying something that it kills you. Yeah. And so it, it is. It's very scary. Yeah. So it's not it's just not. the danger that drugs bring to the table in general. It's even more dangerous than that. And dishonest drug dealer? I know. Never. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I, I can't say they're the most honest people, but a lot of them are addicts themselves. Absolutely. You know, yeah. So. Amy, what are you seeing in the state of Florida now that we have medical marijuana? What what are some of the um, effects we're seeing on on the state? Well, um, so we're definitely seeing normalization. One of the things that Drug Free does is we go out during Red Ribbon Week and speak to elementary school kids. And the message is super simple. We don't talk about any specific drugs, just if, if you're confronted by somebody trying to get you to do drugs or sell drugs, you know, to say no, to walk away, to tell somebody. But one of the things that we um, ask them about is, what is a drug? And I've been doing it for a couple years, and I've never heard any of the elementary school kids say anything about medical marijuana. And this year we had, and it was specific to third grade for some reason, we had a couple third graders bring it up and then, you know, expound upon that by telling us that there's a dispensary in there, you know, by them. Um, So they they know the language, they know what's happening. um, And they're associating the word marijuana with medicine. Um, So you think about so this Mm. person's in third grade, what is it going to be like when they're in fifth grade, when they're 18 years old, when they're 25 years old. So, so we definitely see that just the association with medicine, and the language, they've got it down pat. Um, It's hasn't been long since we started our medical marijuana law, there's still a, a lot of it you know, is still in the works. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't have the data like other states have. You know, this is this was where we were before. This is where we were once we started. We're just starting to collect that. But I did see some information the other day from the Poison Control Center, and they said since we've legalized medical marijuana in the state of Florida, they have a 26% increase in calls that are related to just marijuana by itself that people are calling specifically for that. And that's one of the things that's tracked in other states. Um, so just by comparison, if we're seeing an increase in that, it probably goes to show that we're also going to see the increases like the other states have in their drug driving, their traffic fatalities, you know, their youth use rates, their adult youth use rates. I mean, you're bringing something to market. You don't bring something to market in hopes of not selling any of it. Right. Um, so you're going to be marketing it. You're going to have you know shops that sell it. You're going to have doctors making the recommendation. You're going to have more people using it. And if you have more people using something, you're going to have the consequences that go along with that. Interesting. I was just trying to think, This is okay, this is a weird question. Is there any positive metric that we would ever see? with the legalization of marijuana, and I can't think of one. So that's a great question, and that's questions that I ask when I go to speak, especially to colleges, um, because, you know, they're a little more uh, liberal-minded on on their, um, you know, where they're at with their theories at this point. And so I present all this data that they aren't hearing. And so a lot of times it sounds exaggerated or, you know, if that's really happening, how come I haven't heard about it? Well, because they're just not putting it out there. Right. Um, but then I ask, so what, what good comes of it? What good comes of more substance use? of any substance, what good comes of more substance use from heroin, from cocaine, from marijuana, from any of it. And the only thing that they have been able to say is it would bring more money for us. Well, it would bring more money, just like alcohol brings in more money, just like tobacco brings in more money. Just like gambling. Yeah. But based on those two things, they don't even start to cover the costs that are related 
to the negative consequences, the emergency room visits, the drug driving, the public health and public safety issues. And we have all that data on tobacco and from alcohol from years. So with using those models, it just the same thing would, would happen. And we do have the budget for Colorado. You know, they I saw it in a pie graph done in another presentation, but their overall state budget money allocated toward everything, what marijuana brings in is such an insignificant amount of that full budget. Um, So it it isn't even worth the societal cost. It really isn't. Right. Well, and who's getting rich off of it? It's not like the state of Florida is going to get rich off of marijuana. It's going to be the marijuana growers and the marijuana sellers. Mm -hmm. Someone asked me today, because I was talking about having you on the podcast, and he said, well, you know, who makes money off of marijuana? Or, or, or no, wasn't that. It was like, well, why? Who is it that wants the marijuana to come in? And I said, the people who are making money off of it. Of course. Yeah. And they're already, and you can tell that that's who is making the money off of it. And that's where the the only gain is on their side because they're not happy with the way that it's being implemented. And there's lawsuits all over the place. There's lawsuits from the dispensaries that we're not allowing enough dispensaries. There's lawsuits from the people that put forth the amendment because we're not allowing people to smoke it. There's lawsuits, you know, from citizens because they can't grow it. So it's never good enough. Whatever's right. put in place, they always want more because they want to have more access and more availability. Is it that addiction? Yeah. Yeah, I'm just, yeah. I'm just, I'm just gonna, Absolutely. I was just gonna call a spade a spade. Call a spade a spade, Jason. <laughs> I can see those negative comments. It's never enough, in. but that's what it is. It's never enough societally. Yeah. That's why our drug problem is so. Yeah, bad. yeah, it's very true. It's never enough. Are they typically? Are these guys suing the state of Florida, the government? Is that what? They're, is that who they're suing? Yeah, they're suing the state of Florida. So we just had one lawsuit. Um, from uh, Joe Redner in Tampa. He sued because he believed that the amendment allowed for home cultivation and the judge in Leon County that heard his case agreed with him. So um, they are going to appeal the case, uh, appeal the judgment. Um, and then there's uh, one of the dispensaries is suing the state because the state is only allowing a certain amount of dispensaries, which is not a small amount. Right. Um, so they're suing for that. And then uh, John Morgan and his team are suing the state because they put in that we can't smoke it. And they're saying that the amendment said that we should be able to. So it's it's of the states, a lot of lawsuits at the state level. Interesting. Hmm. Interesting. Now, do those and do those lawsuits eventually make their way to the Attorney General? Is she the one that has to adjudicate it? Or is there like a Supreme Court in the state? Where do they go? Well, I guess if they get appealed, they would have to go to the the Florida Supreme Court. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Wow. What else? What else do we need to know about this issue? Well, what I've been, you know, telling people to do, um, because a lot of people are like, so we want to make sure that what happened in other states don't doesn't happen in our state. That's a good and, point. And, and that's absolutely, you know, we the ship has sailed. It's the law now in Florida. We've tried to put in some things to mitigate the damage. Um, but now it's kind of our job as citizens to make sure that we are tracking things that we see are problematic. So if you see something in your neighborhood, and really this goes for any state, if you see your a, a neighborhood dispensary and you think that their advertising is geared toward kids and you think it's inappropriate, snap a picture of it and send it to whoever is regulating that in your state. And if you don't know who that is, send it to your aunt 
anti-drug coalitions. They'll find out. They'll right. figure it out. Because that's the kind of stuff that we need we need to know about. And and find out, you know, what is being reported by the medical examiner? What is being reported by our student youth surveys? What's being reported by by DUIs and, and road safety checks? And are these numbers going up? If they're not, great. Maybe we did a good job with the laws that we put in place. But right. if they are, we need to step back and say we need we need to change this. Because first and foremost, we have to make sure that our communities are safe for the people that live in them. And we have to make sure that we're putting laws in place that protect them. And some of the that's not happening with these laws. You know, it, it can't be about the pocketbook of big marijuana. It has to be about our public health and safety. Right. I remember in your presentation, you showed some photos of not in our state, but in other states, how they market marijuana, like the gummies and, and they and they put them in packaging that looks just like the candy bars that we like, like Snickers and Twix and um, York peppermint. I mean, you showed these pictures and I was like, oh my goodness. I mean, it's like marketing to children. It's scary. And they wonder why their youth use rates are up and they wonder why they have more <sighs> visits to the emergency room because people ingest at marijuana. I mean, a cookie is a cookie to a kid. Exactly. You know, they, they, a three-year-old didn't on purposely eat your marijuana brownie. You left it on the counter and they saw and, a brownie. And a brownie. Hey, I would and, be and that a brownie. that whole brownie is like four doses. Yeah. Eat if, the whole thing, yeah. you're going to be like... Yeah. Exactly. Well, and then there was the fifth grader in New Mexico mm-hmm. that took the gummies to school was sharing him with his or her friend. I can remember if it was a boy or a girl, but it's scary that they're marketing to ch- to kids. What's next? Because I, I think you were talking about um, some changes that we need to make to the law and things that you want to tighten up. What are some of those things? So there's a lot of things that we've, you know, we thought we did a, a decent job in putting forth some, some regulations. And I, I really have to hand it to our legislators. They took this on. They spent the whole session and special session dealing with it. You know, I think they did a phenomenal job on, on listening to both sides. And we really did get a lot of things that make our program um, more restrictive than other states. And I think that's why we're seeing a lot of the lawsuits. But um, <laughs> as this gets implemented, that's when you start seeing, oh, I didn't think about that. And one of the things that we did a really good job on was um, looking at the marketing and for dispensaries. Mm-hmm. Well, in other states, dispensaries and physicians are kind of in the same group. In Florida, we have pulled them apart. So physicians can't have any direct or indirect, um, you know, uh, uh, parts of the dispensaries. They can't be making money financially. And And that's from the whole pill mill. Yes, exactly. They they shouldn't be. Um, But once they're separated, what we didn't think about is we didn't put any marketing restrictions on those physician groups. So um, normally we would think that our physicians are very ethical people and, you know, they're trying to do no harm. And uh, I believe that the larger percent of them are like that. Mm-hmm. But like we found out with our pill mill doctors, you're going to have these subsets of, I'll call them unethical doctors, who are opening up practices where their only modality of care is making a recommendation for marijuana. And we don't see that in any other subset of health. Right. You don't have a pain management doctor who only makes recommendation, who only writes a script for Oxycontin. Right. You have pain management doctors who say, okay, well, you can get cortisone shots, you can get narcotics, you can go to yoga, you can do physical therapy, you can get massages. You you know, there's a whole bunch of different things that they might tell you to do. Right. Now we have 
uh, collectives of doctors coming together who the only thing they're making a recommendation for is for marijuana. Mm. If we had doctors, I mean, we did at one time, they were called pill mill doctors and we shut them down. But could you imagine if we had doctors setting up shop here on the corner in Clearwater somewhere who, who had pictures of little Xanaxes on their doors and they were advertising that they're only prescribing Xanaxes to come in here. You would have a line of people complaining to Tallahassee, Mm -hmm. writing op-eds, taking Mm -hmm. pictures all over social media. But for some reason, we're not holding marijuana to that same accountability. And that's what we need to talk to our legislators about. Um, You know, we we don't, you see right now these billboards that have big pot leaves on them. um, And those are the the physicians. It's not the dispensaries. Um, So holding them to the same standards that we're holding the dispensaries too. So I think that that's probably the biggest thing that we see right now that right. needs to be changed. That makes sense. Yep, I can see that. <laughs> I'm just enjoying listening to your guys' conversation about this stuff because it's stuff that you and I have talked about forever and I don't see anything good coming <laughs> from the normalization of marijuana. Now, you had asked before, uh, Amy, or you had said you asked kids what good they think can come of it. I keep hearing over and over and over again, well, I mean, legalizing marijuana has helped the opiate rates go down in Colorado. And it's just like, are you, you got to be kidding me because there's an, it's, it's not true. Right. The, not the, the hope case. was that, you, okay, you legalize marijuana on a recreational level. People will quit taking people will quit opiates. taking opiates. What are they thinking? Transitioning marijuana. And are you going to, let me just ask you as a former addict, if you're taking heroin, you're going to like stop heroin and go to marijuana? Oh, totally. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, it's like absolutely. Never. It's, it's completely illogical. And in fact, then people doing marijuana who see the great high you can get on heroin are going to be more likely to do that. It's mm. going to go the other way. So that definitely is the trend, what you what you just said. So there are several states that are looking at legislation to allow medical marijuana to treat the opioid use disorder. And it's based on a couple pieces of research that were done. Um, I wouldn't call them, you know, legitimate pieces of research um, that showed that their their conclusion was that states that have legalized medical marijuana see less opioid deaths. Okay, well, nobody's seen less opioid deaths. Let's just put that out there right now. Right. It's increased everywhere. Yeah. But what these studies have failed to take into account is major. So they failed to talk about all of the physician education that we're doing lately, that we've been doing for the last five years. And in Colorado, we have some data behind that, and I don't remember the exact numbers, um, it's not talking about naloxone, the distribution of naloxone. So in the in the the years that they were looking at this for the research, the first year, which I believe was 2014, in Colorado, there was only like less than a thousand doses of of naloxone put out there. In 2016, more than three thousand doses were put out there. So that's more than three thousand lives that were saved just because of naloxone that that study is not accounting for. Right. Not accounting for the prevention things, and what it also isn't accounting for the prescription drug monitoring programs, where pe- less people are doctor shopping because it's preventing that. But I think one of the biggest things it's not accounting for is when we're looking at our opioid deaths right now, we're not looking at opioid deaths because of prescription drugs. These aren't people who are legitimately taking something as a prescription. Right. 70% of the opioid deaths this last year were because of heroin and fentanyl analogs. So those aren't people who are taking something as a medicine. Right. These people aren't taking heroin as a medicine, so they're not going to say, okay, I'm not going to take heroin to treat my chronic pain anymore. I'm going to use medical marijuana. 
they're not using it for that. Right. So it's a whole different group of people that we're looking at here. So the studies fail to take into account a whole bunch of stuff. And it really, as a preventionist, I, I, you know, it just really gets to me when people say that because it, it really nullifies all the hard work we put out there in all of these different prevention programs. You're basically saying that what we're doing isn't putting a dent in this. Mm -hmm. And, and we are, you know, so that's, what's the most disturbing. And the answer to drug abuse is not legalize more drugs. Right. It's not fight. I always, I I say it over and over again. You can't have this fight fire with fire mentality. When it comes to this, because you can't just say exactly like Amy just said, people aren't using heroin as a medicine. People are claiming, well, they can handle their chronic pain with marijuana. It's not going to happen because people who are addicted to heroin are addicted to her- I mean, listen, they are addicted to heroin. They're not there going to stop in- heroin and go a- back and start smoking weed. There is an inherent difference. Right. It, yeah. Interesting. You know, one of the things I was thinking of when you were talking before, Amy, and I think that what you do is so valuable is that I think people are confused by this issue. And, you know, as many times as we've said it, as many times as you've said it, the marijuana of today is not the marijuana of the sixties and seventies. And I just think so many people are kind of confused about the whole subject. And that's, that's why I think what you do is so absolutely valuable and why I like, I like to have you on the podcast and I like for us to keep touting this, even though we run into a lot of controversy every time we do it, because they need, people need to know it. The marijuana of today is absolutely addictive. And I always say, even if that weren't the case, I could always tell in college a pothead because they were spacey and kind of sort of out of it and kind of sort of just going with the flow. And I've always been a person, um, to my credit or not, who like, I like to get things done, you know, and to try and, you know, get waited on in a restaurant by one or to try and, you know, make something happen with someone who was a chronic marijuana user, even in the 60s and 70s, it was it was virtually impossible. So you figure now with the THC that's in the marijuana, what it's doing to the reaction time of those individuals, what it's doing to the intelligence. And as you know, unfortunately, with with kids who start using it at a young age, when their brain is still developing, it's a really, really bad idea. And we just need to keep talking about it. And and I agree. There's a lot of confusion around it. And and not just about the marijuana today and marijuana yesterday, but just marijuana versus medical marijuana. Right. People don't realize they're the same exact thing. You're just putting an extra word in front of it. Yeah. Just because we're saying that it's medical doesn't mean it's gone through the FDA process and we know the dosage and we know what, what's happening with it. That people seriously and intelligent people think that this is a, not the same drug. I've spoke to nurses who have argued with me that medical marijuana doesn't have THC in it and that you can't get high. It does. Why, why would anybody take it if it didn't yeah. have THC in it? That's and, the active ingredient. Yeah. So, and, and that's what you're up against. So you're, wow. you're having these conversations and people are listening to what you're saying, but they're, they're thinking, 
why these people are fools because right. it doesn't have THC in it. So why are they saying this? Why are they talking about this? Wow. And so and and I think that that's why 71% of Floridians voted for it. Right. Because they they didn't know what they were voting for. Misinformation. Yeah. They yeah. were they were voting because they thought like poor little, you know, Aunt Hattie who's 100 years old who, needs you know, joint. really needs her medical marijuana because she has such horrible arthritis pain or whatever, you know, it's anyway, whatever. Well, maybe it'll get Aunt Hattie off her heroin. Oh, yeah, there's, there's, there's that. Well, Amy, thank you for being with us today. Give me just your final closing words that we need everybody to understand and realize. Um, well, thank you for having me and congratulations on your, your anniversary. Yay, that is very awesome. And I think that the most important thing is, is to listen, one, l- listen to what's happening in your community, listen to what's happening in your family, listen to what's happening with your kids so that you can educate them so that you can be that wall whether whether it's the wall between drugs and your kids the wall between drugs and your friends the drugs in your family arm yourself with the information so that you can make a difference in somebody's life i think that that's probably the most important thing i think that's very very important and they can go to drugfreeamerica.org to get information on marijuana there's also drugfreeworld.org which has specific booklets and videos about marijuana so if you're listening and you're on the fence and you're not sure whether it should be okay or shouldn't be okay just do your research look at what's happening in colorado and california and do the research before you jump on that bandwagon jason we're going to start our new year new year next week new us I have an interview that I would like us to talk about Mm -hmm. next week, which is with um, Bobby Newman. Excellent. Who is a professional interventionist. Oh, yeah. And he has quite some stories to tell. So we will do that again next week, and we'll keep talking. All right. We'll see you then. Okay. You have been listening to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcononsuncoast.org. Narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard. 